Howdy, howdy, folks, and welcome back to another episode of So Stereotypical, where us two media creators discuss LGBTQ plus issues, media politics, and whatever else we feel like. I'm one of your hosts, Alexander Prevost. And I'm Noah Dayheim. And today, we are going to be doing a brief abridged history. I did say brief twice, just in different ways. A short, brief abridged history on coming out. What is it? Where did it come from? What does it mean? So we felt like it was important to have this episode directly following our Heartstopper episode, only because we've been talking a lot about queer media recently. We've been talking about uh, the homophobic bills, and we keep talking about coming out as a whole. So what we are wanting to do here is is kind of clarify some stuff and then bring light to a lot of the history. Yes, very that. But before we get started, be sure to follow us on the podcast on all socials. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at AlexanderPRVST. That's AlexanderPRVST. And you can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at N-O-A-H-D-A-H-E-I-M. That is at Noah Dayheim. And be sure to follow the podcast on all socials. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at SoStereotypical underscore pod. Now on to the episode. Um, okay, you go ahead. You get us started. You get us rolling here, Alexander. So let's get let's start at the beginning. What does coming out even mean? Where does it come from? Well, for starters, coming out originally as a term, the etymology originates from 20th century aristocracy, as it refers to the term coming out, which would refer to a debutant ball or a debutant's first coming out party as it were and a debutante is a young rich socialite woman who is making her debut in the social scene as it were so a coming out party was meant to be a grand glorious debut and for queer people the term is similar as for us you know coming out can often be a celebratory grand occasion for some of us and for other instances not so much but Generally, the term originates from 20th century aristocracy. The term closet, though, uh, also originates from the early 20th century, um, referring to the stereotypical image of a secret or hidden space where people might store things that are seemed shameful or taboo. The idea of having skeletons in your closet, as it were. It's adopted as an analogy um, for... LGBTQ plus individuals to describe the process of revealing their gender identity or sexual orientation to others. And for in today's context with our academic language and understanding and recent very thorough uh, queer studies research on the etymology, the epistemology, and the importance of the closet and coming out, the closet in today's terms refers to not just the oppression and closeted spaces for us, but also heterosexism. And the idea that we have to uphold these very problematic, harmful perform gender performances that play into line of the larger problematic patriarchy. I do, I, I find it interesting that we, if you take this analogy literally, coming out of the closet... It's saying that we are all born in a closet of some sort. It's saying, oh, you're, you're right. just stay in there. And I feel like what these 
new homophobic and transphobic and all the phobic laws that are coming out and bills that are coming out now is basically them trying to like shove us back into into a hidden place and like trying to lock the door does that make sense it feels like so the term yes it it, it means you're 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 coming out you're coming out new you're kind of being reborn in a sense uh that's that's what the term basically breaks down to is you're coming out of the closet you're coming out of the womb you're being reborn you're becoming a new person it's just like um being baptized you you go into the water you come out of the water when you come out of the water you are a new person your life has restarted you are a new and I don't know. I find it I find it very fascinating. The history of the the term coming out of the closet. This has been something that I've always been like very interested about is like why is it like this? Why is it that? And why is? And oh, we'll get into that. We'll we'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> what what I find interesting is like I said, the being born into the closet. So does that right. mean that everybody is in the closet? Well, I wasn't born in the closet. I was as gay as the day is blue when yeah. I came out of the womb. Yeah, you really were. You came out and you were like, hello, I'm here. Um, I was like, hello, homos. What's up? <laughs> Slay fierce work at Diva Hunty. Yes. That was me when I came out of the womb. And my mom was like, oh, great. I have a little, I have a little, uh, I have a little queen as a child. God damn it. <laughs> and it didn't get easier from there. Love oh, you, mom. Um, um, so. I agree. I agree, though. Yeah, yeah. So. Do you want to talk about how this kind of connects this term coming out or coming out of the closet? Uh, How that connects to Stonewall, the Stonewall riots, which we will do a whole episode about. Yeah. If and for our listeners, if you're interested on hearing any episodes on queer histories, uh, be it Stonewall or the Lavender Scare or more or something you want to see us talk about, you know, you can always just hit us up in the polls. We have a little comment section underneath the episode on Spotify, Anchor and more. You can also comment on our social media pages. Hey, this is what I would like to see you guys do. You should cover an episode on that. So if you're interested in something, let us know. So. However, academics agree that pre-Stonewall, the term coming out generally had circa 1950s, the term was seen, the term coming out was seen as a symbol of hope, as it were. Um, But then post-Stonewall in 1969, the term was then re, the connotations of the term shifted to be more of a term of rebellion or personal liberation. The idea of freeing oneself from the oppressions of heterosexism in the closet. Um, And the Stonewall riots, for those that are, who have been living under a rock for the last, you know, I don't know how many years were a series of riots that happened after the Stonewall Barn Inn. The Stonewall Inn was a very popular gay bar um, in New York City that got raided by the police. People were arrested and the protesters fought back and the riots that happened around Stonewall spurred on the LGBTQ slash gay liberation movement of the 1970s um, that, you know, has morphed and shifted to what we have today. Um, and for our listeners at home, there is this, I don't know why this still exists, but there's this narrative in a lot of white gay spaces, particularly LGB alliance spaces or like LGBT, LGB without the T spaces where like it was white gay men that were like 
the people that started the, the Stonewall riots and while white queer people were present in the start of the gay liberation movement, a lot of the organizers and mobilizers were BIPOC queer and trans people like Marsha P. Johnson. Um, so I just think it's important to recognize that with the history of Stonewall, we need to continue being aware of the fact that so many of our liberation rights and our history of freedom within the United States as queer and trans people comes from the work and the organization and the mobilization brought forth by forces that are queer, trans, BIPOC folks. So just wanted to state that. Center so those I, I, I think that's that. a good transition into Molly houses and Molly clubs. Um, do you want to give us a little bit of a history on yes. that? Yes, I do. So uh, Molly houses or Molly clubs were famous in the 18th and 19th century. They were locations for specifically queer men who wanted to socialize or find a partner, find love. And uh, this is also a place where they would be able to safely cross-dress or participate in drag, whichever one they wanted, without fear of being outed in in any sense. So these were these were basically speakeasies. They were they were speakeasies for the queer community. This is a, a place for specifically gay men. It, it, it was predominantly gay men um, back yeah. then who who were who had the privilege to go to places like this. Um, right. To really, I don't know, be themselves. I, I I think that's the main the main pin is that it's to be themselves. Yeah, it's a space to be open and honest with yourself with other like minded individuals. Yeah, especially during a time where homosexuality was deeply stigmatized, even mm-hmm. borderline criminalized. So this kind of transitions to. Then the early and mid 20th century, when we started seeing gay bars and gay clubs popping up across the U.S. However, as we just mentioned about the Stonewall riots, uh, mid 20th century was not the best time to be gay and at a gay bar or gay club, um, because these places were directly met with protests, riots, police raids, discrimination, and overall hateful violence directed towards the queer community. So I think it's important to see that transition from, okay, it was an underground type of situation back in the 18th and 19th century. Okay, 20th century, oh, we're allowed to come above ground. We're allowed to be out. Oh, no, we're not. No, we're not. And then, so it, it's kind of like, I, I see the history of queer safe spaces specifically as like a roller coaster. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, we're allowed to be out. Oh, no, we're not allowed to be out. Okay, we're hiding again. It, oh, we, we, we can be out. Nope, never mind. It, so. it's, it's an ever, it's, it's exactly. It's a, it's a constant shifting tide of pull and pu- push and pulls. I think we should be putting emphasis on the fact that even though there are always pulls backwards, the pushes forward are usually leaps and bounds farther. So it's never yeah. a two steps forward, one step back thing. It's always like a five steps forward, one step back or two yeah. steps back kind of thing. Usually. 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 Today's, today's climate, who knows? 
who knows anymore? This is a this is a weird this is a weird culture wars kind of thing. It's a lot broader than just queer rights, but it's getting a lot it's getting worse. This is more like five steps forward, six steps back kind yeah. of thing. And and yeah. in in an upcoming we'll episode, we will be getting in depth with a couple guests talking about queer safe spaces. Um, right. So we're, we're just giving a very brief outline of it to talk about the history of coming out. And, and I feel like queer safe spaces were a, a good starting ground for being able to safely agree. come out, at least if it's safely come out to one or two people. Very that. Yeah, I agree. And I think coming out for queer people in general, there's a kind of significance for a lot of folks, I think. And there can be there are many different reasons why queer like and trans people and non-binary people, it's so important for us to come out. And I mean, one of the most important things is like personally, like it allows you to have the space to be authentic with yourself, having that space to just be who you are and live your truth in empowerment, knowing that no one can take that joy away from you. No one can take yourself away from you. And no one should do that. There's also the freedom in authenticity. I think human beings, when we talk about stories, the most powerful ones are the ones rooted in something that feels authentic and relatable. Like we talk about relate the power of relatability in stories, but I think what is underestimated is the is that authenticity is just as important as relatability because yeah. a story can be relatable without being genuine and i think authenticity in queer i think queer people strive and queer and trans people strive for an authentic life more so because in many ways i mean i would argue that the queer experience and the trans experience is inherently anti-capitalist but that's a conversation for another day um, but I do think that there is something that is so authentic about being yourself that I don't think straight people necessarily understand or have to strive for in the same way that queer and trans non-binary people do when they come out. And that's not an indictment against straight people or whatever at all. It's more just recognizing the fact that queer and trans people and non-binary people typically strive for a level of authenticity for themselves and others because it's something that they were denied for big parts of their life or for some folks not at all but that's okay yeah you know it is okay so i think that's i think wow we're really good on transitions today i think that's a good transition point to the significance of coming out laying the world darling at least the historical significance of coming out because i when we talk about change uh in in the future uh, i have quite a few things to say (laughs) so um okay so the significance of coming out for the queer community for lgbtq plus people i think historically it has been really good for people to be honest with themselves and their self-expression um because we do live in a society where internalized homophobia is a major thing 
So being able to accept yourself, I think is a very important. Accepting yourself is way more important than anyone else accepting you. Well, I mean, the greatest weapon that we have is knowing ourselves. Because when you know yourself and you understand your body, your desires, your wants, your feelings, you're more likely to live a healthier life and live longer. I mean, and I'm not implying that like being in the closet like leads to a long unhealth, like a short unhealthy life, but it does needs be remarked that, you know, there are a lot of health benefits to being authentic with yourself and being happy with your body and being happy with yourself. And that can look many different ways, such as simply being open and honest about your sexuality to undergoing gender affirming care and therapies, which I, again, we should not be banning for anyone. Um, and we'll get to that in just a second, but there's a, there's a power and a strength in being honest and loving of yourself. So yeah, wholeheartedly agree. Um, what, what else do you think is the significance to coming out? There's, there's quite a few. There, there, there's, there's a lot. It's not, it's not just like you could list it out, but no. because, because it's, it's unique for each person. I feel like. I agree. I agree. I, I think it's unique to each person every, because like we have to remember that every person has a different struggle with their queerness or transness and i mean like when we look at like like black feminist scholars like patricia hill collins who wrote this fantastic piece called the matrix of domination which describes this idea that in society our different identities are interwoven and our different identities based on this system of oppression that we have that is well in a word, capitalism, it goes deeper than that. There's also racial injustice, heterosexism, etc. Um, in these this greater system of problematic white supremacy and oppression, each interlocking identity creates unique niches of pol- sociopolitical struggle. And that the significance of coming out is it's an act of defiance against systems of oppression. Politically, let's like, let's because like, let's not make everything political, but let's make it political, Gorge. Let's make it political. Coming out is an act of defiance against systems of oppression. And that doesn't mean that like you're not coming out for yourself. That doesn't mean that you're not accepting your own strength. But it can be viewed from a larger political academic stance as a middle finger. And I'm not saying that you should come out to middle finger people. What I am saying is that it can be uh, seen as that way from a scholarly standpoint, from a sociopolitical standpoint, a uh, political movement standpoint. There's strength and empowerment in being true to yourself. So, I, yeah, I, I think, yeah. So I think there is a importance with that with coming out, but also that does invoke danger in, in one sense or another. Uh, specifically yeah. for people in no for people in every state now <laughs> every state um, now a lot of countries it's it's just it's just not a good time to be queer trans right now it's really yeah. not it's it's not yeah so recently uh just to bring it to politics for a sec 
for a sec. Every listen, 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 <laughs> listen. If you are one of the people that says don't make everything political, that is your privilege. You have the privilege to be part of not be a part of a marginalized group that is being thrown under the bus as a means of distracting you from the larger issues in life, which are worker inequality, climate change and whatnot. Politicians use marginalized communities as a means to distract you and get people riled up so that way they can do really terrible, harmful things in the in the background, such as fucking with our taxes, fucking with our environment, fucking with corporations, and knocking you down a peg. So if you are one of those people that says, don't make everything about politics, girl, this is your wake-up call. Because real people are affected by it. It's not just you and me. Let's make about politics, because everything is political. Exactly. Everything so, is political. Politics. Ron DeSantis. Really I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry. no, no, no. All good. Ron DeSantis. <laughs> I didn't want to be him. bringing his name back up again so soon, but hey, he's well, getting ready no, to run for the 2024 <laughs> election. So uh, fuck this we're shit. We're never going to um, know peace. We're never going to know peace. So with the passing of the Don't Say Gay bill, that was specifically for K through three. So kindergarten through third grade. Right. It did uh, pose, it did have implications that did affect um, K through 12. It does have implications that affect higher education. Uh, but DeSantis recently posed a, uh, a, something to the uh, Florida Board of Educators um that would make the don't say gay bill effective for k through 12 and let me tell you this it does not need a legislature vote it does not need a legislature vote all it needs is the florida board of education to pass it we told you so the bigots said oh it's just for third graders calm down we told you so yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, what you you could see this from a mile away. I mean, yeah. what we're three thousand miles away and we could see it happening. Um, it, it's this is definitely something he had on the back burner, just waiting for when the attention stopped going on him and what was happening so we're recording this episode a couple weeks before it comes out so what what's happening this week and everything is all the focus is on trump because trump might get indicted so with the whole focus on that oh no little ronnie boy isn't getting as much attention as he wants for his upcoming political campaign because everybody is surrounding trump so what they're doing is He's like, oh, I had this in the back burner. Boom. Don't say gay bill for everybody. And now once that happens in the whole state of Florida, if he becomes president, if he becomes vice president, whatever happens. He's going to try and enforce that across the entire states. Exactly. Which, I again, I, 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 I cannot express this enough. If one state isn't safe, nowhere is safe. An injury mm-hmm. to one is an injury to all. And if you're not viewing great your social politics, great documentary, by the way. But if you are not viewing 
your social politics like that, then you are part of the problem because everyone, even even straight people, are harmed by these homophobic laws. Even cis people or cis passing people are harmed by these transphobic laws. We need yeah. to be aware and vigilant of this because it affects everyone. Um, yeah, well, speaking of transphobic laws... Jesus Christ, Tennessee... What's up with you, buddy? Um, so we didn't cover this the first uh, time we talked about homophobic bills. So homophobic bills tar- part two, um, the same day on March 2nd, the same day that the drag ban passed, Tennessee also passed House Bill number 0001, which um, basically mandates all health care providers to stop gender affirming care by March 2024. March 31st, 2024, healthcare providers can no longer prevent, provide gender-affirming ca- medical care for youth under the age of 18, full stop. And if any there is any violation of that law, there will be legal action taken, including civil charges and lawsuits. Guys, I don't even know how to express how fucking terrible this is for trans people. Yeah. People that are seeking gender affirming care, life affirming care, suicide prevention care. This shit is fucking terrible. It essentially forces medical detransition. Like, it's, and again, the small win here is that the bill is not forcing social detransition. That is, that is, that's, that is a small win. But medical transition can be very important for so many folks that, seek to find comfort and home and safety and self-love in their bodies. Yeah. I know so many folks that so many folks that I care about, you know, in high school found comfort and solace and strength in having gender affirming care through HRT and puberty blockers in high school. And they're living great lives now. They're thriving. They're having the best time as adults because they were able to take those steps at a younger age. I can't imagine what their lives would be like without that. It's it's also important to realize this is not just happening here, happening overseas too, such as Uganda, Uganda and we won't we'll, we'll touch on this real briefly, but Uganda just passed a law that criminalizes identifying part as part of the queer community. Um long way around that of just saying it's criminalizing being gay being homosexual being trans and you can be sentenced to the death penalty uh if you identify publicly um or even privately so i I mean a lot of blackmail going on we could we could have we could have a whole episode about the homophobic laws across the whole world um and i i think that would be important for us to do at some point because agreed this is this is very fucked up and seeing the direction we are going uh, as the US kind of scary. I I do agree. I do think we need to do an episode on do looking at overseas stuff because I think it is important that we look at these laws and examine other cultures and see the ways that we can honor and respect other countries cultures without while also critiquing the more problematic aspects of that culture. Cause I think like you, like, cause there, I think there's a way where we can have a nuanced conversation around 
how other countries operate differently from the United States while also recognizing the universal bigotry that is transphobia, homophobia, enemyphobia, and how that manifests in different cultures. So I think I think now's a good time for us to get into our takeaways. Um, my takeaway is a little different because I, and we didn't really get to touch on it, but I feel like we should transition away from the classic coming out. And, and my reason behind this is because and it's a classic thing like, oh, straight people don't have to come out of the closet. And I, I just, I have such a hard time being like, okay, so you want us to come out of the closet. That's already othering. You're saying that we are already other than you. And while, yes, that can be true. Yes, we are different. We, we're part of the queer community. We're not straight. I feel like if we have overall acceptance of the queer community and, oh, that's just, that's just the dream, overall acceptance, we wouldn't have to come out. We wouldn't have to be having this conversation. We wouldn't have to be having the conversation about the transphobic and homophobic bills. But because, that's not where we are. And, and, and it, it's, it's a major thing that is going on right now about, okay, yeah, you don't have to come out. It's not a thing you have to do. It's not something, like, people shouldn't just automatically put the default on you. And why is the default straight? Um, because what other people think about you and your identity does not fucking matter. It doesn't matter. So... That's my takeaway, is that I want change in the future, and I've seen this change significantly where there is a push for not having to come out, but at the same time, you still kind of have to. It's like, oh, you're gay? Oh, I didn't know that. I don't react that way when people tell me that they're in a a heterosexual relationship. Never should tell people that. You should just say, okay, I love you. That's it. You know? And not even that. And hear me out real quick about that. Just just because, say okay. Just be like, oh, okay. Like, what? Like, okay, I, I still love you. I, I wasn't even questioning no, that is that is a thing in, exactly. in a lot of families and stuff. But that, that gets well, to my point about we need to become accepting as a society. And to be accepting of society, we will get we would eventually get to the, the logical conclusion of that where it's like we don't have to come out at all. Or if you do come out, it's like, everyone's like, okay, cool. So what'd you have for breakfast this morning? You know, just like, just like acknowledge it and move on and like yeah. see it for, and see it, but not overreact. That's what it becomes sensationalized, not normalized. Yeah. And yeah. I think a lot of this does have to do with, and we'll get into the religious trauma episode at some point, but I think a lot of this does have to do with religious trauma Ooh. and the church as a whole. Yeah. And then, I'm Gen X, <laughs> millennial, all of that shit. So, yeah. We'll and then, Alexander, what's your takeaway? My big takeaway for this episode, uh, personally, is uh, coming out is not a linear process. Like, it is a, it's a go at your own pace, choose your own adventure kind of thing. There's no one right way to do it. You can make this big statement about it. 
You can be as subtle as possible. You can tell one people. You can tell two people. You can tell three people. Or you can tell one person and suddenly just be like, walk into a room. Or you can tell no people. Walk in with your new, you know, same sex, same gender partner. And people be like, I didn't know you were blank. I'm like, yeah. Surprise. You know, you don't. There is no one way to do it. And that's okay. It's not linear. There's no one way to do it. You never stop coming out, though. Yeah. And you're going to have to get you're going to get used to that because for our listeners that are, you know, struggling or, you know, that don't know when they're going to stop, you're never going to stop. That's just the reality of our world right now. And that's again, that's also okay. But it's also okay to be proud. I see this weird stigma uh, in our generation, particularly with like queer conservative people in our generation that are like, I'm gay, but I'm more than that. Like, I'm, I'm gay, but I'm not like other gays. Like, I don't, I don't talk about it as much. But like, girl, it's okay to talk about it. And it's okay to be proud about it. Like, girl, they want us to stop being proud about it. They want us to stop talking about it. That's the whole point. And you don't have to make it the center of your personality like a baby gay would. But, you know, like, it's okay to just, it's okay to be proud in it. Take pride in it. Girl, you were, you are this way for a reason. Might as well own it. Just saying. Love who you are. There's nothing wrong with it. I do agree. It, it It's important to be proud of who you are. It's important to be proud of where you came from, where you're going, and what you're doing. So on that note, Alexander and I would like to say thank you for tuning in, listening into this week's episode. It's been a lot of fun. Please remember to follow us on all social medias. All of that is linked down below. Love you, Alexander. I love you too, Noah. Catch you all next week.